Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening, listening to the AJ's Primary Preview. My name is Matt Dotre. I'm the government reporter for the Avalanche Journal. This week, we're talking to the candidates in contested House races. I'm joined, joined right now by Samantha Fields, a Democrat running for House District 84. Samantha is running against Austin Carrizales for the right to challenge John Frulo in the November general elections. Early voting for the primary start probably just a week away. So, Samantha, how are you? I am good. How are you, Matt? I'm doing well. How's everything going? It is going at about 100 miles per hour, but, you know, the, it's something totally new for the Democratic Party in for this sure. city, and it's exciting. There's a lot of people getting involved, and, you know, we're finding people little by little that want to start working on the campaign, so it's great. Yeah. I love it. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, I am Samantha Carrillo-Fields. I am running for House District 84 here in Lubbock, Texas, specifically Lubbock County. And I am a Democratic candidate because I feel that it's time for a change. The blue wave is very real, as we have seen with the vote in Missouri yesterday. And so it's time to bring it to Lubbock. Yeah, so uh, your district... Apart from kind of that area that carves out the middle, kind of the Tech Terrace, Monterey neighborhood, I mean, your district is pretty much inside the loop. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a little appendage to the west that extends past the loop, but otherwise, the entire district is inside the loop. And I've heard a lot from a lot of other um, House candidates that, you know, you're lucky that you get to sleep in the same bed every night. That's <laughs> not the case for a lot of them. And I'm just thinking about how lucky I am that that is the case. Yeah, you don't have to put too many miles on your vehicle. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you have been very involved, uh, a member of the Texas Young Democrats, Tejano Democrats, uh, Texas Democratic Women. Um, was your plan always to run for office Absolutely not. No. Okay. <laughs> I I got involved with Bernie. I, I will always say that was where I got started. I did a little bit of volunteering in 2008 with the Obama campaign, you know, data entry before, you know, it was mm -hmm. it was like automatically synchronizing everything. <laughs> but um, I definitely got involved with Bernie. And then once it became clear that he wasn't going to be the nominee, that was when a lot of the people that were already involved with the party started saying, hey, you work really hard. Would you like to come join this group? Would you like to come join this group? We're having lunch here and things like that. And that was where I got hooked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then, um, but I mean, state office, was that something? So you didn't have your sights on state office at any point? Not at all. I mean, as, as an activist, I was very aware of what, what the position entailed oh. and, you know, what exactly you would do and the decisions that you got to make. I mean, we, we all remember what happened with the filibuster with Wendy Davis. I mean, we can talk all day about the sanctuary cities and the big fight that mm -hmm. happened on the floor with that, but... I mean, personally, that just wasn't something that I had in mind. I just like, okay, I support these candidates because they they represent what I think. And I wish I had that in Lubbock. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's just not something that I thought plausible until now. Yeah. So, <laughs> because of like you, I mean, describe kind of that blue wave you're talking about. Uh, and of course, p people are noticing more Democrats running for office. I mean, is that where it starts? And yeah, more people can run, but are, but are you seeing a difference now when you're actually talking with 
with voters when you're knocking on doors? Are you seeing a difference there? Well, this blue wave that everybody keeps talking about, I think is pretty much stemming from Donald Trump. And, you know, a lot of people weren't happy with Hillary Clinton. You know, she wasn't everybody's favorite pick or anything mm -hmm. like that. And so a lot of people just kind of walked away from the elections. And then we got Donald Trump elected into the presidency and people were like, oh my gosh, what have we done? You know, why, why did we do that? And so I think the blue wave is a, a lot of ways an apology to the world saying that I'm sorry that we did this to the world. You know, there's a lot of countries that were just, you know, like, don't do it, don't do it. And, and so now it's, it's a lot of people saying that I'm sorry that we allowed this to happen. We're not going to do that again. So we're stepping up and running for office. And then, you know, I distinctly remember at the San Antonio convention for the Texas Democratic Party okay. that we were having our Bernie caucus and we had a big screen projector with him doing like one of his final addresses to um, his Bernie supporters and saying that the change is up to you. It's up to us. And, you know, that just kind of took off with a lot of people. You know, I know a lot of personal Bernie friends that have run for office and have won. And so it's just one of those things that it's left up to us now. We, we're not going to be able to, to force the change to happen unless we step up. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I am doing personally. And, you know, it's, it's taking off just because a lot of people see that, oh, if we put in the work, the, the, I mean, the change can happen. And so that's a lot of what I would like people to understand is that as long as you are willing to, you know, do a little bit of block walking, do a few phone calls, make a few postcards, something, any little contribution you can, this is possible for you too. Yeah. Yeah. And so of course now you find yourself in a democratic primary and so, so uh, you, your opponent is, is calling himself kind of a traditional Democrat or a, or a fiscally conservative Democrat. Um, and, and now here I am with you and you're kind of talking about the Bernie wave and things like that. So how would you describe yourself? Would it be, you know, just a name thing. I mean, is it just kind of this new wave of Democrats? I distinctly remember at the forum that we had last week that he mentioned, quote unquote, left wing nut. And I guess if we're going to be going with names like that, yeah, I mean, I am a left wing person. I am a leftist. I believe that people need to get paid what they deserve. I believe that health care is a right. I believe housing is a right. And I believe that, oh, you know, women should be allowed to get paid the same amount as men. You know, these things that have been completely unjust in my lifetime, I need them to be fixed in my lifetime. Mm, yeah. And, you know, this is the time to do it. You know, there's a lot of people that, that have just gotten so tired of income inequality and, you know, just the things that politicians are able to get away with and... I don't want to let them get away with it anymore. And there's a lot of people that agree with me. You know, doing block walking, we're able to talk to people about healthcare. That's like the number one thing everybody is concerned about. You know, whether it's Medicare getting taken away or Medicaid not getting expanded or, you know, having CHIP not getting funding or anything like that. Everybody is concerned about healthcare. Yeah. And, and how does that start 
at the state level, you know, is expanding Medicaid kind of the the number one priority at this time? That indeed is my number one priority. I have kind of formed my platform around poverty and the fact that it is so real in Lubbock, Texas. We are at like 23% poverty rate right now. And then, you know, we look at the unemployment rate, which is like, I think 2% at the moment. And you're just like, wait, where, where, Where's the math going wrong here? And then you realize that people are working. They're just not getting paid enough. And when that happens, they're not getting benefits, much like my mother. You know, she worked for about 37 years at a place, and they only gave her full-time benefits, I think, maybe 20 years after that. And... I mean, that's just not something that happens for a lot of people in yeah. the city. Yeah. And so Medicaid expansion is one of the things I would like to work on. I mean, it's not hard. We just accept the money that the federal government has already reserved with Obamacare. And that's going to open so many doors for people. You know, people aren't going to go to work sick. The flu season isn't going to drag <laughs> on as long as it is. And the emergency rooms aren't going to be full And the rural hospitals, that's another thing that me and um, Drew Landry have been talking about a lot, about how a lot of these rural hospitals have been closing because there's no funding for Medicaid. Yeah. And so that leaves no funding for them, period, and so they have to close their doors. So, and of course, healthcare already takes up a huge part of the state's budget. So how do you, I mean, how do you prevent that from just kind of going to the nth degree and just kind of, and getting out of control if if that's even if you even think that is possible i number one the money that the federal government has reserved is not going to affect texas all that much as far as you know putting more money into mm-hmm. taxes for people but i do believe that we need to look more at possibly cannabis production you know We saw what it did for Colorado. It gave them a surplus. They have money that's, you know, just kind of sitting there just in case. And I really feel that at this moment, we really need to look at all the options. And we need to... It's good to be conservative. I know what it's like to have to be on a budget and to, you know, consider like, okay, what do I need to take away and things like that. But I mean, it's one of those things that Bernie talked about, you know, the income cap that we have on people that if you make so much, you don't have to pay taxes past this. That shouldn't be the case. I really don't think that needs to be the case. And, you know, it's one of those things that if you have the money, you should be investing in your state. I mean, that's just plain and simple. Some, that's something that I need people to, to just take pride in their state. And if you have pride in your state, you want everybody to do good, not just yourself and for your own sake. We need the entire state of Texas to be better. Mm-hmm. And we can be better. And, and so I guess one, one thing that could uh, create more funds would be the legalization of marijuana that you talked about. So, you know, increased sales tax and all that. So is that something you would be in favor of? Um, I don't know that Texas is ready quite yet for recreational use. You know, that's something that we should look into in the future. But right now it's pretty much just producing it. You know, I talked a lot at the forum about how hardy of a crop cannabis is. And, you know, we look at the cotton crop and suddenly there's a hailstorm and, oh, there goes the cotton. It's all gone. Or, you know, like it's it's just falling apart. And I really think that with 
cannabis production, we can provide a different fabric besides cotton. We can do hemp. We can do medicinal oils. And, you know, Greg Abbott just did that bill last year that has made cannabis oil something that people can look into. And so let's take it a step further. You know, he sees the benefits of cannabis. Mm-hmm. So let's let's work with him on it and show him that, hey, this this is something that can benefit all mm-hmm. of us. <laughs> this would be a totally different district if people started growing marijuana oh, instead know. of cotton. I can't even wrap my head around it. I mean, that's an interesting proposal, but you would need to legalize it first in, in order to yes. tell, you know, yes, yes. encourage farmers. And you to. know, one of the things that would come with that <laughs> is getting rid of the criminal element that it has. Yeah. I I know several people that have gone to jail for carrying just like a little itty bitty amount of it, you know, just like one small joint. That was all it took. Or, you know, they happened to be in a car with somebody mm-hmm. that had a small amount and it was detrimental to them yeah and you know it just brings up fees and things like that or they sit in jail forever or you know it brings up the whole employment thing of that little box that says have you ever committed a felony and then once that box is checked an employer's not going to look at your your application or anything yeah and that's that's something that is very, very real in this district. Yeah, and that go. I think you could easily tie that in with that cycle of poverty you were talking mm-hmm. about. And I wanted to bring that up, too, because that's what you mentioned in your announcements, in your campaign announcement, that your focus was on breaking the cycle of poverty. And I think... I'm curious as to what, what the state's role in that is, because I think a lot of people in this district would argue that you know, the state doesn't really have a role that, that that's right. up to the individual. So how do you justify kind of the state being more involved and, and what does that even look like? Well, I mean, number one, going back to the healthcare thing, when people are able to go to the doctor when they need to, they're able to be at work more, you know, they're, they're not at home sick. And then, you know, the bills are starting to pile up because yeah. they took off those three days just to get better. Um, I would like to see the minimum wage go up. Right now it's at 7.25 and we're not anywhere near ready for 15, but yeah. you know, hashtag fight for 15. I would love to okay. see that in my <laughs> lifetime, but um, we definitely need to try figuring out a way to get that minimum wage higher so that way people can start to contribute to the economy more. Cause you know, it's, it's, it's fine to be able to pay your bills and to be able to pay your housing, but it's nice every once in a while to be able to go sit down and eat at a restaurant, you know, go buy some new shoes because yours have a hole in the side of them and things like that. And I just wanted people to be able to support the economy a little bit more. And yeah. then I would like to see some changes as far as, you know, childcare as well. You know, early childhood development is something that I am very, very aware of that works. You know, I only had my kids in parents day out programs, but you know, they were able to learn the basic things that you would in pre-K and Head Start and things. And when you're able to have programs like that, again, people can go to work. You know, it's all of these things that start to add up that you wouldn't think. But it's just these programs, these little itty bitty changes that we can make that are going to make our economy so much better. And if nothing else, that's the way I'm going to be talking to people about this is that all of these things that we do now are going to help the economy. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and I want to talk with you about uh, K through 12 education. Um, of course, that, that's been a big topic is the school funding formula. I mean, is does that need to be completely revamped or is it just a matter of the state picking up more of the tab? Well, I mean, if we go back 20 years, the state was contributing a lot more. I think at one point it was about 50%. Yeah. And it's just like, well, what happened? Mm -hmm. What's what's changed over the past 20 years that you're not contributing as much? And I believe now it's at about 37% Something that like it's that. Yeah. contributing. Yeah. And it's just like, wait, <laughs> the students are still there. They have not gone uh -huh. anywhere. And if nothing else, there are more students now. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And we, we need to be able to make sure that they're going to be able to be part of the future of this state. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, if we can't do that now, they're going to leave. And that's a lot of what the problems are with rural communities is that they they stay there, but then once they graduate, they leave to go to another city to go, you know, get better jobs, mm -hmm. have access to, you know, doctors and yeah. things like that. And yeah. So that's something that we, you know, a lot of it is foresight. We need to see what, what happens, you know, 10 years in the future, 15 years in the future because of the decisions we're making right now. And I feel like a lot of that is not happening in the state legislature, which mm. is why I am running. Because I need people to realize, that, okay, what you're doing now is going to have consequences later on. Yeah. So you better be watching uh -huh. out for that. <laughs> uh, of course, property taxes were a big issue at the in the last session as well. Um, the solution seemed, for the time being, is to lower that rollback rate, in which yes. which prompts. Uh, an automatic vote or yeah prompts an election um is that something you're in favor of or do you have any do you think property the issue of the appraisal creep and increased property taxes need to be tackled in a different way well one of the things that lieutenant governor candidate mike collier has mentioned is these low polls that properties have you know if there happens to be a house in a neighborhood that has like a big you know business in it there's nothing stopping the business from saying, I want to pay the same property taxes as that house. And then somebody says, okay, that's fine. I mean, that is possible. And that just drives me up the wall. It's like, why is that okay? You know, it's going back to why are you not investing in this state? And why are you not investing your money that you obviously have if you have this business that's open? can we can we please just give people a chance and you know it's one of those things that property taxes are starting to fund public education a lot more and then you start looking at all of the different zip codes in the lubbock area mm -hmm. and a zip code in the east side is not going to look the same as the zip code in you know the area where holy spirit is and then you start looking at the buildings and you look, you look at the sidewalks and the conditions that those are in. And obviously the property taxes are, there's a big influx in those property taxes and it's just, yeah. it's not fair. Yeah. And I, th so I was here when Mike Collier visited Lubbock and yeah, I think he, so the situation he described, and let me see if I get this right. So he described, say you're in downtown Houston yes. and there's like a 20-year-old apartment complex. Well, a new developer can come in and build a brand new apartment complex right next door yes. and then argue that my appraisal value should be the same as that because yes. we both serve the same function, right? So you yep. think closing that loophole should... Um, 
Yeah, free up more funds for the state to use. Yes. And much as that. Okay. I do. And then um, I recall a couple of weeks ago that Greg Abbott had this big, wonderful plan about making a cap for how much property taxes a person could, you know, would have to contribute. And then, you know, that sounds great. You know, it sounds awesome right now to what we, we need at this moment in this state. But then you start to think about, okay, but what does that do since y'all aren't contributing as much to state education? And, you know, in the Texas Constitution, free and public, we need to remember those two words. And, you know, we see everybody starting to go towards these charter schools and things like that. And those schools aren't doing good. You know, we can market them as great and awesome beacons of hope for education. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, a lot of them are failing. Yeah. A lot of them are not filling that gap that free and public education provides. And so this cap that he wants to put on is just going to take away even more money from free and public education. Mm -hmm. And they talk with me a bit about school vouchers. Do you think that would have an impact? Oh, gosh, school vouchers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look at a couple of the schools here in Lubbock, and a lot of them are religious and, you know, I, I don't feel that any money that the government is providing should go to religious schools. I mean, that's just not something that we need taxpayers to be going into unless that's their choice, which is fine. That's absolutely fine. But, you know, if it's just this big pot of money that's suddenly starting to go to all these religious schools, then no, that's absolutely not fair. And that's not something we need to force on Texas taxpayers. Mm -hmm. And then talk with me a bit about the foster care system. Last legislative session, you know, the goal was to add more caseworkers. And I think they increased salaries to get more caseworkers to stay. Um, do you think anything else needs to be done to improve our foster care system? Well, I mean, going back to the foresight thing, sex education. I think we absolutely need to look at that option and make it something that is you know, just a regular thing in high schools, no matter what we say or do, or, you know, try and hide the fact the curiosity is there and that's fine. We need to prepare our students for whatever, whatever they happen to get into. And with sex education, it takes away that curiosity and it gives them the information they need to make good decisions. Because a lot of what happens with foster care is that, you know, these children are born into situations that the parents were not prepared for. And so that's why they end up in foster care. And so we need to make sure that the parents, hopefully they won't be parents to begin with, but you know, it's one of those things that if we prepare people with the tools that they need now, we're not gonna have these situations further down the line. And so I believe that sex education is going to be a very huge asset as far as, you know, improving the whole foster care thing and, you know, with CPS and things like that, yeah. because there will be people that won't need to be in those situations. Yeah. We can yeah. avoid it completely. And you also said during your announcement, um, I want to end any legislation that is written to attack groups of people. Uh, can you tell me what you mean by that and what legislation you're talking about? The Sanctuary Cities Bill, number one. Um, I think it's unfair that you should be asked to provide your papers during a traffic stop just because you happen to be brown. And as a Latina, that like really hit home. I remember sitting at a Texas Democratic Women luncheon 
and we had an immigration attorney there. And, you know, she was talking about how a lot of her clients would get traffic stops, you know, just for simply not using a blinker and they just freeze up. And, you know, like I'm hearing these stories and I, I just pop my hand up and I happen to ask, okay, as somebody born in the United States that has parents born in the United States, grandparents that were here when Texas wasn't, you know, an actual state, you know, just this big lineage of people that when the state was still Mexico, do I need a passport? She looked at me without hesitation saying, you probably should. And I mean, that's, that's absolutely not fair. You know, there's, there's no reason for me to have to provide my papers, even though I'm an American born citizen. And so, I mean, that's, that's not fair for any of them to be asked that question. And then, um, Number two, the bathroom bill. That's another piece of legislation that I just really did not agree with. These these two bills by themselves, as Donna Howard, you know, the representative out of Austin has said, are quote unquote solutions in search of problems. I mean, you know, they, they weren't issues that we that needed to be dealt with. There wasn't like a big demand or, you know, pitchforks and torches in the streets like we need somebody to take care of the bathrooms that's not something that we needed and so i just i want to be one of those people that says no we're not going to talk about this this bill because there's no need for it we have other things that need to get taken care of like public education yeah <laughs> i just read an article in the houston chronicle i think it was yesterday or the day before um and it the it the headline was basically well, they were wondering why the bathroom bill isn't being brought up in primaries, even Republican primaries. I mean, are you surprised to see that? Do you think this is, do you think the issue's over with or is it going to come back up next session? I have it on good authority that the bathroom bill will come back up. They're not going to call it the bathroom bill anymore. They're going to call it the privacy bill. And I... I think that mainly it's not being talked about just because it's an embarrassment. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot of companies that said, oh, we're not going to do business with Texas. I can't remember which state it was, but I recall that there was a bathroom bill in the state and, you know, a lot of conventions pulled out of there. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of businesses that said, nope, we're not touching that. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of those things that you look at the economy you know a lot of the a lot of republicans tend to think money wise you know fiscal conservative and so when you start mentioning money yeah you better believe that we're not going to talk about the bathroom bill because mm -hmm. we almost lost the amazon headquarters if we haven't already yeah. and so we we need to not deal with stuff like that because mm -hmm. i mean it just divides people it puts targets on the backs of people that didn't need any help being stigmatized. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. And I want to go back uh, go back to the sanctuary cities. Um, I mean, the people in favor of it would just say, well, this is asking. All it is is making sure local law enforcement, you know, uh, enforce federal law. So, I mean, tell me where, I mean, tell me what the issue is if they're just asking people to enforce federal law. When you start doing that, it creates, an environment where those people may not necessarily report crimes that they see. 
you know, as citizens in the United States, we we have an obligation that if we see something happening, you know, like a house getting broken into or, you know, we see an accident up the road, we have an obligation to call it in to get law enforcement to take care of it. When we start putting targets on the backs of people that may not be here with all of their paperwork or anything, they're probably going to be a little bit... Oh, I better not do that. And, and, you know, that's not their fault. You know, that's absolutely not their fault because, I mean, there's nothing stopping a police officer from, like, drawing his attention away from the actual emergency from, like, hey, what? where are your papers at? Why are you, know, just totally just distracting themselves from the actual issue? And, you know, that's one of the things that Donna Howard has also brought up is that, with the sanctuary cities bill there's a lot of crime that's being unreported you know a lot of um oh the word has suddenly left me but you know there's a lot of incidents that aren't getting reported and you know like people are like well crime is down and things like that okay the crime is still there it's just not getting reported as much yeah because people are afraid to deal with police yeah and i remember yeah reading that argument is what yeah if you're if your neighbor is in undocumented person you know you're, you're not going to call police if your car gets broken into or something like that because yeah then they they may go knock on neighbors doors and yeah yep. just kind of so you're saying it's it's creating a disconnect between police and then the people they're supposed to be protecting it absolutely is and you know it it, does, it shouldn't matter if a person is undocumented or not they are here they are contributing to the population and this is the community take it or leave it Mm -hmm. but you cannot pick and choose how you're going to protect people Mm -hmm. that's just not something that law enforcement should be doing and if that's how they would like to run it then they should probably reconsider what they're doing so i attended the tech debate uh last week hosted by the Texas Tech Student Democrats. And yes. yeah, those issues were kind of the the national, you know, hot button issues such as marijuana, which we talked about, renewable energy, climate change, uh, rights of LGBT individuals, abortion. I, is it fair to say that you align with the Democratic Party on all those issues? I Yeah, I think it's pretty fair to say that, yes, I do align with the Democratic Party. I would not be running with the Democratic yeah. Party if I didn't. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things that I believe in equal opportunity for everybody. And that is something that the Democratic Party has been very good about in the past. Mm-hmm. And so as long as that's the case, I'm going to stick with it. Yeah. Something I wanted to ask you about that your t- opponent brought up, he, he talked about his background, a, uh, a, a local attorney spent time in Washington, and he just kind of, he, he, he questioned your ability to write a bill or just kind of, and know kind of the rules of the chamber. Uh, do you want to respond to that? Do you think there will be a big learning curve or, you know, or will you be able to, you know, get in and hit the ground running? What I have learned working with a lot of the activists that exist in the Democratic Party right now is that they are more than willing to help you learn what you need to. 
You know, there, there's been a big lack of activism over the past 30 years from young people. And so a lot of the people that are in Texas Democratic Women happen to be, you know, the elderly people that were really active in the 60s. And then, you know, something happened between the 80s and the 90s that a lot of people didn't, weren't necessarily involved in politics. So when they see new blood, they're just like, yes, what would you like to know? I will tell you everything. And, and so I think... The same thing can be said about Texas legislature. You know, if they see that you want to put in the work, they're going to teach you. I mean, it's the same thing with any job that if you have the initiative to do it, somebody's going to teach you how. And that's something that with all of my jobs that I've ever taken over the past few years that I, I am willing to put in the work as long as you are willing to teach me and as long as you see that I have the initiative to do mm -hmm. it. I mean, there's nothing stopping me from doing the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always hear that um, West Texas is underrepresented in the House. Uh, you know, West of I-35 is uh, not, uh, yeah, underrepresented. And then the state reps always say because of that, they, they like to stick together. They, they form these coalitions, um, take... You, you know, extending I-27, for example, you know, it takes a lot of state reps <laughs> working together. I mean, do you think if elected, and I, this is looking past the primary and onto the general, but I mean, if elected, do you think you'd be able to work with a Republican, this, the sea of Republicans from our area? And would they be willing to work with you? That's a good question because, you know, number one, I'm a woman, and that's like a whole different territory from, you know, the usual boys club, as a lot of people like to put it. And, um, you know, I think that just given the fact that I'm a people person, I'm willing to do a lot of things in order to make sure that the people of Texas are given the things that they need. And, you know, it's a lot of this compromising thing that's happening. And you know what? If that's what it takes in order to get what I think needs to be done for Texas, then, yeah, I will reach across the aisle and say, look, I see where you're coming from. I need you to see where I'm coming from. And I need you to see that this is what Texas needs for us to do. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much like you, 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 and me, me, me. It is them, the Texas people. And I think there's a big lack of that right now in the Texas legislature. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would like to bring. And then um, I... I really think that just even talking with a lot of the more conservative Democrats, you know, they're just like, oh, well, I don't know about this. And, you know, like there's there's a lot of leeriness as to the fact about how Democratic leaning I am. But at the same time, it's one of those things that, look, I'm not going to I'm not going to push you under the bus or anything just so I can say, well, Democrat did this. That's not me. That's never been me. And I'm a team player. I really am. You can ask any of my old bosses that I have worked mm -hmm. for, and, and I am willing to work as a team with people to get the job done. Mm -hmm. Do you think kind of the, the makeup of the House will change with Speaker Strauss not seeking re-election? I definitely do. I mean, I know that Dustin Burroughs and a couple of his, his people have been talking about, like, you know, making this big big deal about finding a speaker of the house that's going to work with them and you know it's one of those things that okay you're looking out a lot for your own interests but what about the state mm -hmm. and the people you're supposed to be quote unquote representing and so yeah i mean i'm i'm leery about that i really am but it's one of those things that if 
this blue wave is real, then maybe we can get enough Democrats into the House and to the Senate that are going to overcome that. And, you know, just the amount of people that are running in West Texas right now as Democrats. You know, I have my my big my big group of people, you know, Sam Hatton from Abilene, Spencer Bounds from, you know, Odessa, and then Armando Gamboa from Midland, Mike Purcell from the Amarillo Potter area and things like that. And, you know, who knows? I mean, anything is possible at this moment. Like I said, Missouri just got somebody into the house that was in a district that voted a lot like Lubbock. Anything is possible. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to be able to find out how much is possible until we try, Mm -hmm. which is what we're doing. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, Samantha, that's all the questions I have. Uh, I appreciate your time. Anything I didn't ask or anything you want to mention? No, I, th- I think we're good. <laughs> do, do you have any events coming up? Anything people should look out for? Uh, I do. You know, a lot of the traditional campaigns, they have postcards that they send out. You know, the big, beautiful mailers that have like a big picture of the candidate and this is where I stand and things like that. And those are fine, but that's not who I am. Mm. And I, I really want to keep this campaign grassroots. And so what we're doing in lieu of that is having a postcard party where I speechify, you know, I tell people what my platform is and they write the postcard. You know, this is why I support Samantha Fields. This is where she stands on this. And, you know, we're going to tell people when the voting dates are on it and everything like that. And I mean... A lot of the a lot of the idea came from my postcards that I give to my donors. Whenever they donate to the campaign, I always follow up with a personal postcard saying thank you for your contribution okay. and you know, this is what it's gonna pay for or you know, this is what it means to to, to people in West Texas because a lot of them are from out mm-hmm. of state. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's weird getting donations from California, but, you know, they see that, okay, she's trying to do something yeah. here. And so I explain it like, yeah, you better believe I'm trying to do something here. And, you know, we end up getting more donations from that. And so we're going to take that and do it into the mailer now. And so we'll see what happens. But, I mean, people are excited about it. You know, we had the Ides of Trump where we sent the pink postcards okay. to Trump yeah. and People got really behind that. Um, we had a so postcard. Is, so, is there like an event planned where yes, people? Okay. Yes, we're gonna have it on Sunday, the 11th, at the Democratic headquarters okay. from about two to five, and snacks will be provided because writing is hard. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but you know, it's just one of those things that this is a really easy way to get involved with the campaign. You know. A lot of people are leery about block walking because they don't like talking to strangers. The same thing with phone calls. They don't like talking to people on the phone or anything like that. So this is a real easy way to put your activism where where you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Very good. That sounds fun. Well, good deal. Samantha, thank you for your time. I sure do appreciate it. Well, thank you, Mm -hmm. Matt. I appreciate it.